fun day, Sarah. How's it, Sarah? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It's going really great. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I, I got to say, it's it's been a long week. A lot of interesting yeah. things happening. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of things going on in the world. A lot of things going on in Hawaii. A lot going on in Maui. Um, so, I mean, I think because of like, we, we don't, don't necessarily have a lot of time today because we're going to make space for a very special guest today. Uh, so I hope you guys make it to the end and listen to my interview with Linda Mae Maldonado, author of The Lost Children of Kalopapa. And she herself is one of said lost children. And um, just a, a little brief synopsis of what we're going to talk about is the trials and tribulations of her life of being a foster child, child raised and I, that was um, separated from her parents because they were uh, a part of the leper colony. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, so wow. it, she's going to talk about her journey. Um, I really didn't have to like prompt her or ask any questions because Auntie has been figuring herself out for a long time and she's like on it like there were parts where i was getting ready to say like so how did that make you feel and then she's already in the i'll tell you how she's a good storyteller she is she is so like i gotta say for like you know uh, as far as follow-ups in my talk story series now that it's expanding like uh great listen auntie auntie can talk uh we we have nearly a an hour conversation i've pared it down only a couple minutes because really like you get everything and then some, and then you kind of understand oh, wow. the interconnectedness of parts of the community as well, all through the mm-hmm. lens of her own personal story. So, um, which oh, is I really cool. Yeah, and then uh, from what I hear, she's working with a, a young girl on the mainland uh, who's gonna do a documentary on her. So it's kind of like we get we get the sneak peek before everybody else for listening. Ooh, all right, so stay tuned awesome. to the end of this episode uh, as I talk story with Linda May. All right, so, uh, community announcements hey we are still looking for psas from nonprofits and organizations on maui submit them in our new online form check it out links in the show notes also political candidates i'm still coming for you uh, i'm about to reach my 30 days from my first interview with um my first candidate uh shout how out many to- have you done so far um i'm in the 50s it's kind of slow crawled at this point a lot of people are like off doing their like handshake tours and they're trying to hit the ground so now and then now it's finally in range for like bigger media to care so like some of these guys but um but i'm starting to see signs everywhere yes yes it is it has started that's right political candidate signs are the herpes of the aina they they just Mm. never go away (laughs) You know, no. and then that's the thing is like, y'all better clean up your Apollo when you're done. Whether you get elected or you don't get elected, you better send your damn cronies out there for pick up your shit. Yeah, crap. you gotta pick that shit back up. I hate it when candidates leave their crap, especially the sore loser ones. Like the carpetbagger sore loser ones will be like, well, then fine, I'm moving. I'll go, I'll go, Manchurian candidate election on another island. And then they just leave all the Apollo everywhere. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, any candidates with any balls left, I'm calling you out. Uh, you know, I've got mayors that I've talked with, uh, potential mayors, potential senators, potential state representatives, congressmen and women, people of all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, and melanin. And it's beautiful. Like, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of great points of view. 
And I'm mm-hmm. listening to people, and the biggest thing that I'm finding out is that Hawaii does have a lot of common ground compared to most of the craziness of the continent. So, mm-hmm. like, there's really, like, uh, some days I don't think that, like, it's Democrat or Republican out here. Like, I really think there needs, like, Hawaii would be the best place to start a real series of, like, districts and delegates for a comparable third party not the other 178 tertiary parties that are available to join in america that don't show up on the ballot but i'm saying what i'm saying wink wink nudge nudge maybe somewhere along the way people we need to talk you know maybe a party for the people a real party for the people a pe- yeah a people's party, a big party. yeah people a people's party. Party. um also Voters, it is now coming upon that time because, as I said, I'm reaching that 30-day point from my very first one, and I'm about to go back into talking to these candidates for the second time. And so I will have a form-up. Check it out in the show notes. Ask your questions of your candidates. It's going to be a very simple form. Uh, You know, you can give me your name or you can submit anonymously, and then you can tell me what candidate or what seat it's for because maybe you want to ask all the candidates running for that seat. Or maybe you just want to ask one because, you know, they wouldn't drop one dookie on your front lawn by doing uh, bad by the community. I don't know. Like, help point out the cronyism. Help point out the problems. Help point out the big ticket questions that we could be asking on behalf of the people of Hawaii. So submit your candidate questions in the form in the show notes. And I'll be bugging on Instagram in my stories. So check it out in the stories on Instagram. All right. So. A few community announcements. Um, big, big thing uh, that we want to start with just before we go crazy in the show. Uh, we'd like to offer our uh, condolences to uh, Uncle Myron and the Machado Ohana, uh, one of the greats, the greatest greats, uh, and to Colette Machado. Um, she's no longer with us. And. Um, we just, you know, we got to say we need if there's anything I want to say about her passing is that now is the time to pick up all these torches that are being left behind. Uh, we have many great Kapuna that are leaving us. And I feel that there's 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 been an effort by them and those around us to uh, expand the fight and look out for each other. But I feel that that we need to double even triple our efforts. And if you have really anything in you to give in response to her passing, it would be your hand in the process of moving forward. Because that's really, you know, if we want if we want to honor her memory, we need to work harder. And other announcements, um, it was, uh, there was a dialogue open recently between the Office of Hawaiian Affairs and uh, the National Museums of Northern Ireland. And uh, it's an amazing thing to say that the um, we have repatriated uh, Hawaiian ancestral human remains and uh, Hawaiian treasures of Chief Lee Rank, so Ivi Kapuna <laughs> and Mea Makamai Piri Ali'i. And yeah. They were, uh, they were essentially part of a colonial display in a museum. But because, you know, 
museum curators uh, around the world are starting to get aware of the impact of maybe their previous history and they recognize things. So in the spirit of goodwill, there's been a lot of effort to repatriate these items back to the indigenous peoples that they belong to. So um, they also were able to get um, some other Ivi Kupuna from a museum in Edinburgh and uh, they did a repatriation ceremony over there. And so the Ivi Kupuna will be uh, reburied on Molokai and Hawaii Island and um, the Pili'ali'i will be uh, stewarded by the Office of, of Hawaiian Affairs. So I'm sure there'll be updates on how that's going to be presented to the public or if there's going to be any protocol um, when it lands. But huge, that's a, a really huge thing, especially in preserving the history of the Hawaiian people. Um, mm -hmm. Two more announcements. Jobs and volunteers. Folks, you like one job. UH Maui is now offering a free eight-week carpentry pre-apprenticeship training program this summer for residents. So if you want the opportunity to learn a new trade, it, it's being handed out right now. You That's know, awesome! Exactly. So then essentially, like, you could get the class that would get you the job, and it uh -huh. puts you in a position because in a lot of programs like these, it's usually because it's being called for as a need in the community. So mm -hmm. don't think that this is something that's just being offered and you can be like, oh, we're going to find one job. No, like you need to put in for this. Like if you've been thinking about changing your life, if COVID got you upside down and you're still part of that huge percent that's unemployed, then like chance them. You know, you're going to yeah. you're going to learn something. Even if you don't learn how to become a carpenter that works for someone else, maybe it will lead you to maybe, you, you know, just going to learn basic carpentry for your home, you know, but either way. Free eight-week course. Got to sign up. Absolutely. Yeah. The classes are being held on campus June 13th through July 22nd, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Required internship placements will be scheduled for August 1st through 12th. And you just visit uhcc.hawaii.edu slash training to learn more and apply. We'll put that in the show links. Also, if you like volunteer, Marine Mammal Center Hawaii is looking for volunteers on Maui. For more information, go marinemammalcenter.org. I will put that in the show links as well. So look at that. There's an opportunity to put food in your belly and food for your soul right there. So take advantage of that, folks. So we're going to cover a little, uh, well, more local news than anything. I think the, the Hawaii news in general discussion is some some data points that I, I learned recently that we'll talk about and then uh, and then we'll come back after a break and talk about uh, the continent and what's going on out there in the world why everyone says so crazy but moving along Sarah did you know that there is a aloha industry an aloha industry yeah like every what does that even mean like okay so like like you know you have like you know just like sectors of the economy more or less you you have you have pieces and facets of it that represent like a niche category so like movies and like candy and like okay. yeah so if okay. a, uh, so if aloha was a product it would be an industry as well because it is a 30 billion dollar industry i found out and and on average Less than 10% of that actually ends up in Hawaiian hands. So that's like, it's that's clearly, 
It's more so for tourists, huh? It's like a well, tourist Well, no, attraction. it's not that it's a tourist attraction. It's that it's owned by non-Hawaiians. So a $30 billion industry off the backs of an entire heritage and culture sits colonial profiteering. So uh, if any of you Hawaiians out there want to start one of the Aloha business, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll get right? someone from the small business admin to come in here and teach you guys all how to turn your, turn your, your practice into a business. Because at this point, like, you know what? If people are going to sell it, it better be at least Hawaiians, right? So, um... Another interesting statistic that I found out recently is actually like the rate at which Native Hawaiians are, are paid in Hawaii per their non-Hawaiian counterparts. And we're actually 5 to 10% underpaid compared to our not. So Native Hawaiians, by and large, even in equivocal categories, are paid less than. So, I mean, it, this, to, at this point, this only tells me that one, like, you know, the whole the whole problem with being a person of color, it, it's hard enough as it is. But then if you're like targeted as a group of people, because I'm going to use the word targeted in this case, because it's I mean, it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think people need to recognize that, like when they devalue other people and they decide that, like one person gets paid two dollars less an hour just because of your bias towards that person, because that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it, th these numbers are taken from equal fields. So then it's like, you know, so whether you're a street sweeper or you're a hotelier, it's, you know. But the thing that I have to say to people for that is you need to start seeing what everybody else makes where you work. There's no taboo against that. There are many resources <laughs> to actually find out how much your coworkers are getting paid. I mean, there's uh, my mother, for example, in her field, she, uh, she was actually told by her, her bosses once they recognized, once they, the actual, like, the the county and the state recognize, hey, we, we're not paying you compared to, like, the guys that are ranked side by side with you. And they were like, well, then you got to go out and you got to figure it out because then now you have to put in this application that proves that, like, we're just not paying you enough. So I think that yeah. I don't know if there's anything like that going on in Hawaii, but there should be and there should be more effort towards it. And also the working class needs to be taking more time and talking about how much they work. It is not taboo to talk about how much you want to get paid. It puts employers on blast. And you know what? There's a lot of good employers that are actually willing to reach that standard. So mm -hmm. you either, you know, you need to be putting these bad employers on blast and then you need to be appreciating the good businesses and either patronizing them or going to work for them. And that's really the only way we're going to pick up our economy. Uh, other small tidbit, um, good to know slash I guess better to know. I don't, you know, I don't know. Either way, like the Wailuku water deal is moving forward by hell or high water, <laughs> every pun intended. Um, I guess the the county had tried to be a part of it, uh, but uh, you know, as as we stated last week, uh, not so much. But um, there are being efforts made. Uh, to move it forward, and really, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, Avery Chumley is still a dick. But I guess he won okay dick. He's our dick, you know? That's the way yeah. it works. It's like, everybody's got an asshole, and, well, I guess you're ours. Um, you know, but, I mean, my personal opinion, you could take him into Martins and stick him in a freaking, uh, you know, rocket ship to the moon and just forget about him. But, uh, you know... I guess, you know, at least have an enemy, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I feel it some days, like, because 
he and I are never really going to meet because someone like him isn't going to come on this show because he doesn't have the balls to. And uh, I probably end up making him look like Elmer Fudd because, like, I just – no. Anyways, but uh, if you're listening, Avery, yeah, I'd love to have you on. We could talk. We could talk oh. story all day. Please, please. Shots fired, bro. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but enough about that and other things that make me angry. How about, like, the, the – so – Kuakahi Village's plans for those uh, workforce homes in Wailuku moves ahead, so the gentrification wave begins. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a, a good thing to a degree that, like, these are workforce homes, so that means they're supposed to be affordable. But if the housing uh, costs don't cool off by the time that these are ready to activate, those people won't be able to... Uh, for them if the uh, cost of uh, living wages don't come up to match. So let's just hope that the housing market cools and we're able to, you know, keep this the way that it's supposed to be. Um, I mean, it is necessary to be adding extra homes for families that need them, but also at the same time we need to be aware that there are a lot of unoccupied homes on Maui that are owned by outside companies. There are People advertising, buy your second home on Maui. Like, you get off the airport now in Kahului, and there's a giant sign and baggage claim playing on those freaking TVs going, welcome to your vacation. Here's how you make it last forever. And, uh. yeah, no, it's crazy. Like, tourism is back. And, you know, and that was a crazy thing that I learned recently was just, like, the rate at which tourism was is overflowing on Maui is, like, it, it's – for like a practical level of like homeostasis and so we don't lose our goddamn minds is that like it's supposed to be like three residents to every one tourist but as we've come out of the pandemic it's been one to two so like we have like an extra 30 percent like influx of and that's why like it feels stressed like sometimes you can't go to your favorite place or why the, yeah. the beach is way too packed. Or sometimes it's like takeout around like lunch or dinner time. Yeah. Super fresh. Absolutely. So, um, I just, I really think that, uh, you know, if our elected officials really want to do something about this, there needs to be heavier, heavier regulation on the second home community. We live on a finite amount of land, and it is impossible to think that both indigenous peoples and locals that now call this their home are under threat yet again. It's like a terrible 10 year cycle with the housing economy out here. And it's just watching every time it bumps, you know, but to a degree, we are starting to see a good influx of Hawaiians coming back. Uh, but we got to make space, you know, and that's the thing. That's the important part is we're starting to get some, some of our college kids are coming back from the mainland. Some, some of us Kanakas like myself are like getting the leg up on, you know, fixing the the family line by reestablishing ourselves on the island because our grandparents or our parents left so like you have this this huge mix of returning hawaiians and people that want to be a part of their land and help take care of it but there's just not enough happening in the way of housing regulation and i dare anyone to come up to me and say that like housing regulation is bad because there really isn't any and these people go unchecked and then because you have crony bureaucrats and crony politicians that these people end up getting rubber stamped and approved through just about anything they want i mean that's the problem is like 
back to think talking about the whole Maalaya thing. It's like, dude, if Martin has his way, that place could look like freaking Monaco in like ten years. And like, do you really want like, you know, some Disneyland resort? sitting in the middle of that area no because then they'll eventually encroach on the rest of the land and imminent domain it out of the way and then price all those people out in another 10-year cycle so we need to be vigilant on this folks so listen to those candidate interviews figure out what you want to ask them uh and speaking of the last thing in in local news in general um former Kauai council member (laughs) man so um this guy uh just recently got sentenced to 20 years in prison for running a drug ring okay arthur brun all right uh so he was conspiring with a prison gang requesting sexual favors as payments for drugs and assaulted a law enforcement officer and he also was selling drugs to support his own drug addiction um who cares what he can get out for good behavior we ain't going to talk about that that guy don't even deserve getting out for good behavior for ruining that community but um it it really just it tells you how broken the system is to the point where a guy like this got into power and was either a broken when he got in or corrupted before he got out and so that's really gonna make me ask some more interesting questions of Kauai candidates because that's a very small population and if drugs are that rampant to a degree that a council member was running a crony ring through his office or through the power and affluence of what that office garnered him um it would only lead me to believe that there there are people affected by it to a degree that they were either an unwilling patsy or a very willing component of the scam so we will be making a point to investigate those and give me yet another reason to want to melon ball my eyes out and tear out my hair when I think about terrible people in this world screwing it up for the good people. All right. You know what? I need a moment. And I think uh, Sarah's eyes have glazed over too much from talking serious news. So we'll come back in a moment after this message from Newsly. Moving forward. fast-paced world where many people are too busy to sit down and read books or news articles. But thanks to Newsly, you can now listen to the news you wish you had the time to read. By utilizing AI technology, a natural human voice reads you the news, helping you grasp the information faster and more efficiently. Newsly provides the latest news updates 24-7, letting you browse articles from topics you choose. It even has podcasts, including ours. And listeners of Rabbit Holes can get their first 30 days of premium for free, allowing you to enjoy an ad-free experience by using the special promo code in our episode description. So download Newsly today for free on iOS and Android or visit www.newsly.me so you can stay updated on the things that matter to you. Moving forward. So, um, where do we go when it comes to the continent this week? Um, as most of you folks know, um, 
America's uh, great American pastime, mass shootings, uh, have occurred yet again. And so we, you know, uh, that school in Texas, um, I would say our thoughts and prayers are with you, but thoughts and prayers are useless in a time like this. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't think people recognize how much of this is a systemic issue. Um, everybody's angry on one side going, don't take my guns away. And then there's people on the other side of just like, can't we just live in a world without them? But not enough people in the middle are recognizing that if you want to swing that pendulum, we have to think of compromises that effectively make change. Um, and, and before we go deeper into this, it's like I, I really can't overstate enough how much like ripple effect policy needs to go into change. Like people need to be like, if you're running for office, think about something that you can do in a completely different sector of your community that has a ripple, it has a butterfly effect. Make that mm -hmm. butterfly effect policy because, you know, it's like, let's just throw away the gun reform for a second. I mean, although, you know, it should be noted that the shooter bought two guns three days apart uh, and 400 rounds wow. less than a week before the incident. So, like, if we're and saying... Yeah, nothing got like, oh, this is a red flag. No, um, no, exactly. And then they're like, people don't understand that, like, how deregulated gun buying keeps getting in all of these pro-gun states. And I'm not yeah. saying there's anything wrong with being pro-gun, but, like, if we want to uphold a line, you know, and the crazy part is, is, like, a lot of the people that are in support of guns right now are like, hey, but Switzerland, everybody's got a gun in Switzerland. And I'm like, bro. Everybody in Switzerland can have a gun if they want to, but then they got to, like, be in the militia, and then they got to get trained with a gun, and then they get a psyche valve, and then, you know, and then they got to wait for it. And then when they get the gun, it's not like they put they put it in a box and they stick it away because they're not going to get bullets unless, like, they're issue bullets in most cases. So I think it's, like, a huge fallacy to be using another country that overtly regulates their guns to the degree to where they can have guns and then just right. using the whole, they all have guns, you know? Yeah. So like if anybody wants to use Switzerland as their scapegoat for why we should all have guns, recognize that if everybody wants a gun, then we actually need to over-regulate so we have the most educated gun owners, all right? Mm -hmm. You get me, okay? You know, because gun reform needs to be aware of mental health. You know, it needs to red flag suspicious gun purchases while still respecting responsible gun owners. You know, we need better social services to help identify with that community mental health. And, and we need to stabilize local economies to prevent multi mentally pushing citizens over the edge. You know, it's I mean, if you develop yeah. education in a classroom, promote healthy interpersonal relationships, you prevent fringe outcasts. I mean, and that's what I mean by like butterfly effect policy. If there's a kid who does not go hungry for his entire elementary school career and then gets picked on by other kids, you know, think like think about that. That all stacks up. Exactly. You know? All the things that are. Yeah. So you have a kid who's hangry all the time at six years old, but then he gets bullied on by an 11 year old that has no mental health support because his parents probably bully him. And then that rolls down into a long-term relationship. And then in between that, you have all the other outside elements. You have drugs yeah. in their lives. You have you have crazy thoughts coming from the internet in their lives. You don't have anybody looking out for the kids, not even the parents. And then that's the part is like, everybody who's complaining about like, what about our children? Y'all need to look in the mirror. If you have wasted enough breath to say it more than, I'm gonna, got, you know, I'll give you a margin error. You, my new policy is going to be about if you bitch about it more than five times and don't do something about it, y'all better get off your cola and fucking make some change. Bro. All 
All right. No more of this, like, I like complaint. All right, what's your solution? I don't have one solution. But then shut the fuck up or find a solution. You know, so I, it just we we need to be able to create solutions instead of blaming things. Uh, and by the way, it is not a solution to train a uh, kindergarten teacher how to fire a gun. And it is not a solution to teach a child how to play dead by rubbing the blood of other dead children over her oh, as an escape God. mechanism. Yeah. Did you it's, hear about that? What? Yeah. No. One of the kids, that. one of the kids that survived the Ovalde shooting, she was like eight years old. And you know what she did? Like, she literally turned to her dying friend and just smothered her hand in blood, put it all over her, and then just laid as still as she could. And that's how she survived. Wow. Our children know how, now know how to cope with terrorist attacks, domestic attacks, and mass shootings better than our country can regulate its mental health. Wow. Okay? If we're now putting the response... Children are our future. It is not their responsibility to have to protect themselves from terrible people. It's our job as their parents, okay? It's our job as the teachers in their lives, the faculty in their lives, their bosses, their neighbors, their aunties, their uncles, okay? So if you want to bitch about it more than five times, you better come up with a solution that doesn't involve uh, putting security in every school because that's not how it happens, okay? Putting a guard in every school, that doesn't effectively do anything. I mean, shit, they got... The cops that ran out to Avaldi to go save that school, like half of them just like forgot all of their training and just started screaming, hey, if anybody needs help, scream. And then like now people are screaming before a fucking guy can come into their room and go, oh, now I know where you are, peekaboo. Like that's the shit. We're not training our cops enough. Our parents are like are copping out and going, well, then just put a gun in the school. It's like there is no such thing as a good guy with a gun that solves your problem. OK, if a good guy with a gun has to show up, that means we've already gone too far. We've gone right. too far now. So in order to go back, we need to make it to where a good guy with a gun can show up every once in a while and solve a problem. And that's cool. But this should not be an everyday issue. OK, schools being turned into fortresses is not an answer. OK, we can't be telling our kids that now that they have to walk through a prison entrance in order to get an education. What does that tell our kids? Where does that put them psychologically to think about like, oh, well, is this a prison or is this a school? You know, and yeah. how does that like we do not exactly. mess up their mental health trying to fix this to a point of then we're really going to need. Yes, yeah, soldiers on the front like of schools because it's just going to be like yeah like you said like a trickle effect it's going to get worse and worse and worse in mental health then yep and then how does that help gun culture so for those of you that are intelligent smart and a responsible gun owner fret not we're not coming after you you can have your guns i don't give a shit i just don't i just don't want you using your guns to get drunk and shoot off your big toe like my cousin timmy all right i just don't oh, want no. i don't <laughs> but I, I also don't want people with mental health issues, you know, and I think that also opens up a conversation because it's like, did you know veterans who smoke marijuana can't own a gun? Really? Yeah. So like, so here's the thing. It's like, this is where our common ground with gun rights people should be. It's like, here's uh the deal. I will help lobby to get guns in the hands of responsible marijuana smokers who aren't going to like, because what the fuck are they going to do? Marijuana smoker, you, you. Nine times out of ten, you smoking the ganja to like lose your temper, okay? I mean, mm -hmm. I have to not smoke to come on air, so that way I smoke. Be so paranoid handling that thing. Be like, never mind, I'm gonna put this down. <laughs> exactly. So like, 
you know, so I really think that especially on the advent of trying to legalize marijuana in Hawaii, we also have to think about like, hey, let's let's deregulate the bad parts of gun, of gun ownership laws. Let's make it to where responsible gun owners are are given better opportunities or are respected better or, you know, aren't looked at because they smoke recreational marijuana. It's like, bro, if you want your Second Amendment and your 420 at the same time, just just don't hurt anybody like obviously yeah. that gun that gun ain't gonna be out I mean, like be if you spread like, peace on your lawn smoking that what like, yeah I said, you'd be more inclined to like drink and shoot somebody than smoke and like shoot well, somebody yeah, especially since alcohol is a depressant huh especially yeah. since alcohol so is a depressant like that then people drinking and buying and buying guns like if you yep exactly it makes no sense. yes it makes no sense. exactly that's right folks remember you can be a raging alcoholic and own a gun but if you smoke a little pakalolo, there's going to be a problem. So, like, let's meet in the middle on that policy change. Like, for those that are in pro-gun reform, if we'd be willing to secede to the idea that, like, hey, we help out our 420 brothers and sisters in arms and just be like, yo, get them their Second Amendment rights. And in turn, they help counter-lobby for us. And they go, hey, like, let's actually, like, demerit the the people who are a problem, you know, make sure that there is a mental health background check, make sure that there is some kind of system in place to like make it to where you don't just have, like, I mean, this guy pretty much just like walked into a store two days later, walked out with a gun, walked, went to the other side of the county and got a gun like, and this kid's had like a boatload of issues. Most of them have like, that's the craziest part is these are just, you know, activated individuals waiting for a moment, you know, and, and it's now, it is now a, it's its own epidemic in itself. I mean, yeah. I was I was worried about this all throughout the pandemic because like the one thing that made me okay with locking my doors and not sending my kid to school was the fact that that just increased chance of survival 100%. Uh -huh. Because it's, it's, we now live in a community of it's, and whether or not it's gonna happen, it's a matter of when it's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, and, and when you now have to look over your shoulder the entire time and be like, win, 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 that means the system's broken. That means yeah. it's way too unregulated and it's overregulated in the wrong places. So we need to see past the lobby of the NRA. We need to see past the the myopic point of view of being a Second Amendment nut and then expand your mind to like, look, you could have a lot of allies right now for your gun ownership if you just thought about regulating guns, because, again, Good gun reform does not take guns away from you. It keeps it out of the hands of the wrong people. Mm -hmm. right. It's crazy that we're even having this discussion. It's That's just, it blows my mind that this, that yeah, you can buy a gun three days apart from two different gun stores. It just. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, um. I think we'll we'll be talking about that more. I'm gonna have some uh, some questions for candidates about that, especially uh, those running in higher office. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of unnecessary regulations, um, a First Nations artist was uh, confronted with having to surrender their beads at airport security due to carry-on limits. But then it's like it's inside. It's inside of a bag. Inside, it, it was essentially just like the per ounce limit of their beads was too high. And I did not know that like beads counted on the same level as like lotion and shit. I didn't know that either. Especially for like all the stupid things that you could buy inside the airport after you get in. 
So I just I think that's stupid. Uh, I'll be looking into things like that some more. Um, huh. But uh, yeah, it just things like that are just like they kind of just rub me in a weird freaking way. And I just like I you know I think that like you know in response to like how do we make good reform? How do we take away bad reform? How do we take away blue laws and haze codes that currently exist? That because it's just like I mean that probably could affect it. anybody i'm sure that there's like old ladies with knitting needles that get them taken away all the time or something like that but then i'm sure that there's people that like get on a plane with like sous chef knives or something like that and they're like oh right this way wolfgang puck so then i'm just like where why why are we deciding certain people get this and certain people don't and what's considered an offense and what's considered not mm-hmm. um and you know what's considered not anymore pay phones <laughs> in new york new york city Remove the last payphone from service. So with really? that, yeah. So no, so if you see one on the street, it goes to nowhere. Take a picture with it while there's still a chance. Um, which then brings you know to mind the, the conversation I really wanted to have with this is like, how many payphones we got on Maui still? You know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. We- I, I I take pictures of every payphone that I see when I'm like when we we shoot in a movie. So then, like, mm-hmm. I mean, my, the one that interests me the most is the one at Kihei Boat Landing, because that's just like out on yeah. the dirt. Like, I yeah. just like I look at that and I'm just like, either you can escape from the Matrix through that one, or you have to answer that one in order to like hand off a freaking like ransom. Like that's mm-hmm. that's all I think about. I'm like, that's gonna be in a movie one day for me. It's like that's how the either the aliens get you or the kidnappers get paid. But, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Drug deal calls come yeah, in. Yeah, you know, I'd kind of want to talk to the telephone companies. Speakers phone. They probably are. Oh, yeah. are you kidding me? How many people walk down from Cam One and probably use that for drug deals and shit? Like, oh, how many people oh. walk the other feet, the other way towards the one near that's near the ice cream parlor? <laughs> it's like, no, man. Like, and then that's the thing is like, but you never see them being used during the day because nobody would touch it during the day because either A, like they don't think it works or B, why the hell would they? Because they got a cell phone. But then C, those things are usually grimy and dirty and nasty. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I kind of want to investigate the life of payphones on Maui. So we're going to go down that rabbit hole in a future segment. Um, one last ridiculous thing uh from uh, the continent well actually we'll, we'll have some more when we talk pop culture in a second but like um there was a national guard officer that was allowed to sensibly retire after he motorboated a woman what yes like so he tried so yeah so so he had a he had an officer in rank beneath him you know and he was joking about how much he liked her boobs and he would even mention it on like deployment and shit. And then he started joking with the guys in the barracks and was just like, when I pin this on her chest, I'm just going to stick my face in there. And he did. And he thought he was totally that, that shows you how stupid our society has gotten right now is that a decorated national guard officer thinks it's okay what is this 1972 like did nobody show him the sexual harassment training video like i don't care how boring it is but like dude people need to learn that that's not how you treat people 
Yeah. You know, it's just no, it's not cool. It's not, and especially like you're using your rank over another person. It just. Mm. I wonder how long this has been going on. His behavior like this, and it's just now like coming to light. You know. Exactly. You know. That's so bad. it just it's oh. it's not balls. It's not balls. Uh, and um, I think I need a a moment. To, to clear my head so we're gonna follow with a little PSA here and when we come right back we're gonna have a quick talk about pop culture and gossip in the world and another update on the earth that is obviously not flat and we shall continue to prove that is spherical and round Moving forward. get help it's never your fault. It doesn't matter what you were wearing, what you were drinking, or what you agreed to in the past. Sexual assault is never your fault. Support is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Remember, it's not your fault. I think I think the world is a dumpster fire right now, and that's why we need to distract ourselves. So one last thing to add to that dumpster fire, and then we'll talk about fun things. Um, but it kind of fits in this segment more than it does in the news news segment because giving this guy credit to be real news is not like it's it's and eh, this guy's trash anyway. So he goes in a in a pop culture gossip bin, but like I think it really needs to be pointed out just because guys like this like. Why Why do stories get made about people who obviously if they would have gone through a real vetting process, they probably wouldn't be there today? Because, I mean, someone with this much of a problem going on has obviously probably had it going on all the digital age. So for those of you that, uh, you know, were into, you know, uh, 19 Kids and Counting on TLC, uh, I don't mm -hmm. know how many of you people have followed the Duggars and their life on television, but Josh... Yeah, Josh Duggar, 12 years in prison for child pornography. An abundance of child pornography. The kind that wow, gets you. Wow, this has been going on for a really long time. Yeah, it has. It has. But it shows you how little the court system cares for prosecuting things like this. And how for much. Real. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are evidence of it, right? Like, yes. it was on computer. Then... Like, boom, it's there right in front of you. Like, why does there need to be so many trials? And this is why people get angry enough to go, why isn't there just like a gallows hanging out there for terrible people like this? You know, and that, and that's the thing to think about. It's like well, there is a certain level of like this is not something that you consider going to because it's like if he's a father of kids and then he has a porno stash of kids, then what do you think he's going to do to those kids? So I just like there's no and then and you look at his prison photo and he's still smiling like I got away with most of it. It's just like. It's 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 disturbing. It really is disturbing. So I just I, I really think that people need to be more aware of the people they idolize. And then I think also Hollywood and reality producers need to be aware that it's not always worth it to just like slap any old white rich face up there and call them a celebrity when there's all a healthy pool of people. Uh, melanated or not, rich or poor, that deserve a chance, and they could be a better narrative for the people of the world to watch instead of this person. 
Uh, and so th talking to better narratives, because I'd rather just wipe that asshole out of my mind until we come back and find out that somebody strangled him in his prison cell. Um, I've finally been catching up on, like, the greater things to watch in this world. Uh, you know, all the things that all the cool kids are into. Uh, you been watching anything lately, Sarah? Oh, what have I been watching? Not really. Just, um, no, no, not really. Mm -mm. Well, I just finally watched uh, the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. Uh, this is the best one so far. Yeah? This is the best one so far. I love Book of Boba Fett. I love Mandalorian. But I got to say, one, Deborah Chow, great fucking director. Um, yeah. And it shows. It really shows in in the timing uh, and the, the characters. Um, Ewan McGregor, again, like back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he does in, you know, it's an amazing thing because it's it's very much like we're, we're like uh, this is a this is a Ronin samurai story at this point, because like Obi-Wan, it's it's 10 years after he dropped Luke and Leia off at their respective adoptive parents. So Luke's over with Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen and Leia is off being princess in training, you know. And and the best part about uh -oh. that is, yeah, oh yeah. So you get to oh, that's part of the first two episodes is is princess, baby princess Leia gets kidnapped, and Obi Wan Kenobi's got to go across the galaxy to save her. Ooh, yeah. And she's a mouthy little sassy gal, and she would make Carrie Fisher proud. I tell you <laughs> what. Like, if Carrie Fisher was here, she'd be like, she's a badass bitch in training. So she's funny. She's a great little, like, and you, I think she's a little younger. I'm going to have to look into it. But these kids are supposed to be 10. But she, mm -hmm. it looks like they casted a, a younger kid to play a little older because she's going <laughs> to grow into this role. I am very much going to be okay if she is princess leia for the next hundred years i'm cool with it because this kid's already got it in spades and then of course because you got all this princess leia time as a kid that means she's hanging out with bail organa jimmy smiths so then like and he's my favorite addition to universe i like not many like some 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 people that are into sci-fi are all about like you know the politics and the world building and bail organa sits is one of the most interesting characters in the mythos because like he is adoptive father to to uh, Princess Leia, you know, that's how she becomes a princess, is she becomes Leia Organa instead of Leia Skywalker, you know, and then her dad's in the Senate, but then like he fought in the Clone Wars side by side with Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Jedis. So this is like, this is the equivalent of that like four-star general who grows up to be a senator and then like a king type of thing. So it's, you know, really good character. You get a lot of interesting moments because it's like, you learn how good of a person Princess Leia became because she had a great father and watching that relationship. So for those of you daddy's girls out there that are sci-fi nerds, that is, is probably the most familial part of the story is watching Princess Leia and Bail Organa, just all these dad and daughter times. And it is, oh, it is have Coco watch it. I it's, it's, it's really good and that does have some kind of dark moments because it's hard-boiled Star Wars so I mean like you got these like Kurosawa elements going on and it's really cool because of it but it's it can be a little dark at time for the kids um, yeah what's but, the rating Do you rating is on it uh, I think that was a PG-13 but you know what? I will no. have to say like yeah I, I'd say wait a couple years on Coco like I wouldn't even let mine watch it Yet, uh, like, you know, show her some Star Wars Rebels so she can get used to it because all that mm -hmm. Rebels storyline is associated with what you're about to see. So, like, oh. yeah, so, like, the brothers and the sisters of the Sith Inquisitors are in it. 
Um, I got to say that, like, some people are going to be kind of peeved of, like, when is he going to break out his lightsaber? Because, like, you watch him carry it around for a long time, and you also watch and notice that, like, he hasn't used his force powers. And so there becomes a moment where he's really got to use his force powers, and it's like watching him have, like, the hardest brain fart of his life because, like, he hasn't used the force in 10 years. Mm. And just like any other muscle, he's got to rebuild it. So he spends yep. a lot of, like, any – any of the fights that he gets in, he doesn't even break out his lightsaber. He gets in a fist fight with people because it's like your force attunement has to be high to wield a lightsaber. I mean, you're you're fucking moving a laser around, a hot freaking laser. Of course, you need superpowers to fucking wield that. People don't realize. Nope, nope. That's a lot of situational awareness. Um, <laughs> yeah, I finally finished Picard to the end. That was really good. I know I talked a little bit about it last week, but I have to say just the whole culmination with the Q saga that's inside of it. Uh, John Delancey back as Q was an amazing thing. And the Oz. The Oz were in elements. I can talk about this part because it's not a spoiler, but then other fans are going to be like, that is kind of a spoiler for me. But the Picard Q hug at the end was probably the most awe of the day moment. Just watching two old friends who have acted side by side of these as, as these characters for decades to not only have an epilogue as their characters, but to share a moment as actors. You could mm -hmm. almost feel them coming out of character when they hugged each other. Like the level oh. of love in their eyes for each other as revered colleagues, you could see Picard melt away for a moment, and it was Patrick Stewart hugging John Delancey. I really feel that. So if you haven't watched that yet, you guys need to watch it. It's freaking amazing. Um, I still haven't finished the rest of Disco yet, but Strange New Worlds is badass, and I kind of want to just finish binging everything else on it before I talk about it. So I'll come back next week and talk about Strange New Worlds with Anson Mount and the crew of the Enterprise before Kirk shows up. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it's just, it's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, I saw the first episode of that one. I saw the first episode. Yes. Okay. So what did you think? Yeah, I was thinking like, wait, he's not in this though. He's yeah. not in it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. But they will have a Kirk coming in soon. So they, okay. yeah. So so be on the lookout for how that affects things, and it also shows like what timeline in the more or less Star Trek multiverse it is after they establish mm -hmm. this. So you know, a lot of people are like, "Is this the Calvin timeline or not?" So you guys gotta watch. You guys gotta understand how it all fits together. All right. Mm -hmm. And so our last thing before we go today, because after this we're gonna have an amazing talk story with uh, Linda May Maldonado of the Lost Children of Cabo Papa. But uh, before we go, it's our weekly check-in on why the Earth is round <laughs> and why. Oh, yeah. Why is the Earth round? Well, okay. <laughs> so, like, I don't even think it's, like, why is it round or how is it round, but how do we know it's round, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that, like, so, you know, last week I talked about circumnavigating the globe, particularly circumnavigating the Ant Antarctic, you know, going around the Antarctic shelf. I, I should have also talked about circumnavigating the North Pole because there are many circumstances of that. But I will make sure to bring it up in my conversation because the more that I'm learning about flat earthers, they have an answer for everything. Some of them I've heard don't even believe Australia is real. Wait, what? Yes. Some of these people are so cray cray that for real reals, they think that Australia is that not real. Exactly. So, like, I'm sorry, Australia. I didn't realize that you were facing such issues with ignorant people. But I know right. you're real. 
I know you're real. You know, we should we should have a, you know, I got a cousin that's out there for a wedding right now. He should do a segment on how real Australia is. <laughs> oh man, but yeah. So so I think the th- our small talking point for for today's lesson on how we know the earth is round, constellations. All right? All right, Hawaiians and Hawaiian wannabes and Hawaiian next-door neighbors and locals alike, we all know out here that constellations are key to finding our way around this world. And we also know that constellations change per where you go. So certain parts of the world see certain parts of the map. So if the Earth was flat, how do you account for the fact that we can't see all the constellations that another part of the Earth sees, okay? So like in the Northern Hemisphere, we can see Polaris, you know, the North Star, and then we can't see, but we can't see the Southern Cross. And then in Australia, it's the opposite. So if the Earth was flat, well, then and again, also, they don't think Australia is real. So then I guess if Australia is not real, then the Southern Cross is, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. It's like, how do these guys not look up at the stars and then wonder about this, you know? So then, you know, and that's the thing. Is so, like, if we were all on a disc with the dome of lights above our head, you should be able to see any point on the dome. Just like yeah. when you trap a bug inside of a jar, okay? So, but this this isn't what happens so we we can't see the same stars all the time uh and we we only see stars in different hemispheres and we only see stars in different seasons so the map shifts as the earth moves you know so like our our point of view the universe shifts as we rotate around the sun and that's also what taught us how the earth orbits the sun so like a lot of that whole orbit orbital model that we started with back in the day that got refined into what it is now is like the math required in understanding how our approaches in the galaxy around the planets in our solar system and everything that Mm -hmm. gravitational number that's told to us by looking up at the stars and going wow that star moves that far across in the sky from our eyes from this fixed point so you use your fixed point in the earth to figure out you know where where our view of the universe moves so i you know i i would like to hear what he has to say in response to that i'm sure like he'll have some like it's a projector and your eyes are just messing with you i don't know and we're gonna find out every every one of these guys is different the other thing that i'm finding a lot of is that it's a huge it's a huge following of like fringe christians that are in it it's predominantly fringe christians because they're uh, apparently they they attach to the term uh, of uh, firmament as described in the Bible. So next week when we talk about this, we're going to talk on how they're misusing the Bible to interpret myth into a reality. Because the other thing is, is like, how do we account for this dome? Who put it there? How do you fix the dome? Like, I mean, I saw what happened in the Simpsons movie when they put a dome on Springfield. Look how much of a pain in the ass that was. And that was a cartoon. <laughs> so I can only imagine in real life because, like, unless ancient fucking aliens built it, how the hell do you put a glass dome? And then, like, also, if you look at some of the models, I mean, I'll, I'll be talking about these more. But, like, these glass dome models are weird because they got, like, holes in them. So, then, like, how do you account for And the holes are apparently for, like, gods to walk through. So you can't, you can only what? go to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. It is a gross misinterpretation of a biblical text. I'm not even religious, and I take offense to this. So 
Uh, this is one of those cases where an atheist goes in defense of the Bible and will have quite a few things to say against flat earthers and probably even some interesting pro things to say about religion, even though I think it's colonial hooey. So all that and more next week. Um, coming up right now, we've got the specialists of special guests, uh, amazing women I've gotten to know over uh, the last couple months. Uh, because it's been a lot leading up to us having time to talk together. Our schedules didn't sync, but then when they did, some very interesting things happened. And, it, you know, she had some, uh, you know, things that, like, made it to where she didn't have the time. And then by the time that I got to interviewing candidates, I didn't have enough time for her. So we finally synced up. And this is Linda Mae Maldonado, and she is going to tell her story about being one of the children of Kalo Papa and what it was like being a foster child a foster child byproduct of the leper colony community. Uh, so um, please make sure to listen to all of it. She really, like, it, she puts her heart out there. You can hear it in her voice. Um, also, I want to let everyone know her book is for sale on Barnes & Noble. It's very tiny read, and all the money goes straight back to Enti, so it's not going to some weird publisher or anything. Uh, so absolutely if you like her story and you want to learn more or maybe you too are a child or a descendant of a child of kalapapa and you've been looking for answers there's a lot of interesting things because this is now going to lead to a rabbit hole for me to go down because i found out that like a lot of these records were sealed for 80 years so then that way it could protect it was said to protect you know people but i feel that a lot of the times things like that only end up protecting the institution and hurting the families so uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna go on an adventure. I think it's about time in my life to you know see more than just the little bits of each island that I've ever seen because when I go visit family and go into parts unknown that I've never really touched before. So we're gonna figure out uh, how to get out there and you know talk about it and cover it in a respectful way. You know her pain is her pain and it's understandable, but then also we need to look through this as a lens of of seeking knowledge and understanding about generations before us, not just to mourn their loss or respect their problems, but to recognize what we can learn from it as people to fix our own future or be respectful to the future when something like this comes around again. So uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday and uh, enjoy this amazing story from a woman who has seen so much in her life and has so much to share. And I am honored to help her share that message. Sarah, do you have anything to say to the lovely folks at home before we skedaddly do? Nope. Just um, thanks for tuning in. And, uh, well, I will see you guys next week. And make sure you guys um, stick around for the end of the interview. Rock on. All right. We will see y'all later. Aloha. Moving forward. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with a crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. 
Criminals use these forms of payment because they're hard to trace. Don't be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. All right. So, Linda, please tell us from the beginning. Okay. Well, my name is Linda May. Uh, I don't know. Linda May, Lovey Lovey Maldonado. Maldonado is my married name. Lovey Lovey was, I thought, well, it was, wasn't really my birth name because I was Linda May Carrillo for 10 years. I was born and raised in Palolo Valley, Hawaii. And my parents' name was Paul and Phoebe Lovey Lovey. I used the name Carrillo until I was 10, and all of a sudden, I was told that I need to start writing Linda May Lovey Lovey. So it took me several, several weeks to get used to writing Lovey Lovey. And, you know, I'm 10 years old. I don't understand. So I, I did that. So when I was 12, my father died. And I was such an, an inquisitive person. Everybody used to call me the Daily Kid because I would always eavesdrop on all the adults, which was not heard of. I mean, when you're little, the, 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 the saying was kids are seen, not heard. But I would just listen to every when my parents had visitors like my aunts my uncles my cousins would come i would go on to the house and i would listen to everybody talking so when my father died when i was 12 i finally had the courage to ask my mother why did i have to change my name from carrillo which i was writing for 10 years to lovey lovey so she gathered all five of us there was five children and um she sat us on the parlor floor and told all of us that we were adopted. Well, we all looked at each other and we didn't know what adopted meant. So she went ahead and started explaining that we weren't her true children, that she obtained each one of us and she told us how she obtained us. When she got to me, she told me that my parents, my real parents, was my father was was an owner of a journal store in Maui and my mother was a nurse. I was their only child, so they want they didn't want to be tied down and they gave me up for adoption. And so that's how I was obtained. So, you know, you know, and I looked at each other and then she when we the, the funniest part of it is growing up in a family, a close knit family of five children, my parents, I didn't see any any difference because we were all different nationality. My oldest brother was part Japanese. Then my sister was part black and I'm Filipino. My brother right under me was Cherokee Indian and my last brother was pure Holly. And I, we didn't, we didn't know the difference then. And then growing up as growing up in my teens and when I got married, I saw the difference. So when I got married, I <clears throat> moved to California in 1970, 76. My daughter, I had three children. My youngest daughter was just 
nine months old when we moved to California. So I lived there for God until 2000, no, excuse me, 1992 when my husband left me after 26 years of marriage. So we moved to Las Vegas in 1993. And in 2003, I, my, one of my granddaughters was belonged to his halal in Vegas, and her kumu was my first cousin, first cousin's um, daughter. Anyway, they were having this big Samoan luau because the halal that she belonged to, they entertained different occasions. So <clears throat> my first cousin told my granddaughter that I'm to tell me that I needed to attend this wedding because my other cousin who is his brother lived in Salt Lake City and he needed to talk to me. So I had called up my cousin in, that lived in Las Vegas asked him why did I have to attend it? Why was it so important? And he said that his brother who lived in Salt Lake was coming because he was a, him and his wife was going to be singing a Hawaiian wedding song mm. and that his brother needed to speak to me because it was important something about my mother i was real puzzled because there were related to my adopted mother there that was my adopted mom's real family which is the quinn and i haven't seen this cousin for over 30 years at lizard salt lake so i went and um because i was puzzled because they knew my mother which is the react true act had died in 1992 and all of a sudden you know they're talking he's talk, telling me that his brother says something about my mom so i was kind of puzzled so i went to the um occasion i saw him walking in the um in the hall we hugged and like i said we haven't seen for, seen each other for 30 years so that he did this thing the same the wedding hawaiian wedding song and he came in and then i says what what is this about my mother, I don't know what, what's going on. You know, my mom died in 1992. And he goes, I know, this is your biological mom. And I go, what? He says, yeah, um, my other brother who lives in St. George is a um, genealogist for the Mormon Tabernacle in Utah. Somehow or another, this woman who works for um, the genealogy genealogy department in San Francisco were close friends and she was having a family reunion that 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 year this was April and they were having a family reunion in July in Maui for her family and just so happened she had made up this family tree and sent it to my cousin in St. George to see if he could help her you know do it right because she knew that we the Quinns had a big family reunion and they color coded their family tree. Mm. So when my cousin in Salt Lake, I mean, in St. George got the tree, he took notice of my name on the tree. So he called my aunt, with, which he calls auntie too, because they were very, very close friends. And he told her that he knew someone who was on the family tree. So then my aunt said, who? Because my mother, my adopted mother's maiden name was Aquin, and my biological mother's maiden name was Achuk. So she thought they was related, like in the Chinese part, Achuk and Aquin. And he goes, "No, then the maid, lovey, lovey." And then 
he told me that <clears throat> my cousin who lives in St. George says that she just started waiting and says, no, that's my niece. I have been searching for her for 45 years. So then when they got off, my cousin in St. George called his brother, which is my cousin who lives in Salt Lake, and told told him if he knew of where I was. Because like I said, we lost contact over 30 years. So it was just a coincidence about this 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 party that we went to that they found me. So I, I was lost for words because I didn't know what was going on. So he asked for my telephone number and I gave it to him, to him. And this was a Saturday. So on Monday, I came home from playing bingo. My daughter says, Mom, do we have a aunt by the name of Lois? And I says, no. And she says, well, well, this woman called and said that she was our aunt and her name is Lois and she left me her phone number. So, okay, so I got settled and I called the number and this woman got the phone and I asked her, if may I speak to Lois? She goes, this is she. I says, hi, my name is Linda. And then she goes, when it just, it was just gave me chicken skin all over my body because when she says Linda May, I freaked out because I never use May. I always use Linda because I hated the name Linda May. And I freaked out because how would this woman know my name was Linda May? So she cried and she explained who she was, told me, you know, that she was my mother's um, youngest sister, my biological mom's youngest sister. She has been searching for me for 45 years. And um, her dream was to find me because they were having a reunion in um, K&I in 2003, a second reunion for my biological side of my mother's biological side of the family, which is the Hui Hui's. Who, excuse me, who echoes. So then we talked for about an hour and I got up the phone and my daughter was sitting there wondering what the heck was going on because I was crying and, you know, because I, I found out that my mother was still alive and she lived in Kalaupapa. Um, I had a half-sister and that my mom was 83 years old and my sister was 60 years old. So, okay, so I talked to her, and then she told, and I asked her, I says, you know, how is my mom? Is she, what kind of health is she in? She goes, well, my mom was healthy as an ox. So she asked me for my permission if I would give, if, um, if I would like to have my mom's number and my sister's number. So I did take it, and when I got off the phone, I was just shaking. I was in awe. I was in shock and I was crying and my daughter asked me what happened and I told her and my, my, my daughter just shook. She goes, mom, I can't believe this is happening because we did, she didn't know that I knew that I was adopted. And I was, I just, I was 54 years old at that time. So I composed myself and it says, well, let me call my mom. So I dialed the number, Miss Lady answered the phone 
And I asked, may I speak to Nellie? She says, this is she. I says, hi, this is Linda May. And she cried for a couple of seconds. And the first thing that came out of her mouth was, I am so sorry. And I says, no, I says, I am the one that's sorry because I hated you and my father for all my license when I found out that when I was 12 that you guys gave me up. I was told that I was the only child and you guys wanted a career so you gave me up for adoption. And then I found out the true story. I was ob- how I was obtained by my adopted parents because I was taken away from her the day I was born and placed in foster care when I was the, the day I was born. So I hated my biological parents for giving me up for which this was told to me by adopted mother. And I remember getting married and I remember my ex-husband telling me, you need to find your biological family because simply we need to find out, you know, medical reasons, you know, we need to know about where you came from. And I refused, I refused until that day when I was 54 years old, when I found out what happened and I felt so guilty. So for my mother to tell me that she was sorry, it broke my heart because I was the one that should be sorry. I was the one that should be asking for forgiveness for hating her, you know, and then we talked and we talked and I says, well, I'm gonna go. And then I cried and I cried and I got off the phone and I, my daughter held me because it was just an eerie moment. It was just to hear my, my, my mom's voice, to know that she was still alive and to know what had taken place when I, the day I was born. It hurted me so bad and I kept on saying to myself, how can people be so cruel to take children away and give them to someone else and not tell them about their true identity and keep it a secret for all these years. So then I said I needed to call my half-sister. So I called, but she wasn't there, so I left a message. And later on that evening, she did call me. And it was a bittersweet, bittersweet call because... <clears throat> The first question she asked me if I had any children, and I said, yes, I had three children. And at that time, I had, I think, about six grandchildren, and she just started crying. And I couldn't understand why she would ask me a question, and why is she crying? Come to find find out that when she was born, she was born in Kalapapa. And I guess her father, her father's brother lived topside in Molokai, so... He got to get my my sister. She was raised by her biological uncle. And come to find out, she was the only child. She didn't never had any sibling. And when she grew up and when she was 16 years old, they found a big tumor in her uterus. So she had to have a hysterectomy at the age of 16. So she could not bear any children. So she got married to... Pua Almeida's son, John Almeida, they couldn't have any children, so they adopted a son when he was, I think, only a couple of months old. So she only had one son. 
and she was quite happy because all those years of her life, she never had any relatives, any nieces, any nephews, and now she has a sister, and she was so thrilled, and I can hear the the happiness in her in, in her in her talking that now she has gained other people. So we talked and we talked. So this was, I think, April the sixteenth. Then <clears throat> June, and the ending the ending part of May, my aunt called me back and says, "You know, we're, you're going to go back." to Hawaii with us because my mom wanted me to go to this reunion they were having in Kay and I and on the 4th of July weekend in 2003. So my aunt made all the re- arrangements. I left from Vegas to go to LA and then from LA I flew up to Sacramento where my aunt lived and I spent a week there to meet her side of the family. Then we went to San Jose, took a plane to San Jose to Maui. Then my, I guess my, one of my first cousins came to meet us at the airport because for the reunion, anybody who was coming out of, coming from out of um, um, the mainland or any, any other part of the islands besides Maui, the people that lived in Maui was hosting these people. So we was going to stay with my first cousin, Pumpkin. They came to pick us up at the airport. We took practically all of our luggage to her house. And then later on, we had caught this little twin engine to go to Kalopapa. I was so scared because I've never been in a small plane like that. And I guess I, I didn't know this at that time, but they didn't have any big carriers that went to Kalapapa. It was just twin engine that were allowed there because the the runway was so tiny. So we took it, me and my aunt and the driver. We went, and then we, I think it's only like 10 minutes away from Mangla. We got to Molokai, to Kalapapa. And as we're landing, I mean, the airstrip was like, um, I think it was the size of my apartment, the length of my apartment. And when they put the brakes on, uh, the nose was almost touching the water. So there was this little airport, and there's all these people at the airport. So I'm looking at my aunt, and I'm shaking. My knees are buckling because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how to act. So when we're walking off the plane, I asked my aunt which one was my mom, and she pointed to the woman that was in a wheelchair. So we walked, it was a very tiresome long walk because I was so nervous. Um, and all these people, I guess, I guess all of Kalapapa, all the patients, all the residents that lived there was here at the airport. So we walked up and my aunt says, Linda Bay, this is your mom, Nellie. So we hugged each other, we cried. People from the, the people from Kalapapa brought some lace and my mom introduced me to the people there and introduced me to this one woman i think she was like maybe 50 or 55 not not more than 60 as my hanai sister and how she was my hanai sister was when she came to kalapapa she was the youngest resident there so my mom took it upon herself to be her a mother so it was her and i 
daughters. She respected my mom as her mom. So she grabbed all our luggage and put it in the truck, and we got in the car. We drove over to her mom's house. God, you know, you know, landing there, you know, it's such, I can't explain the feelings. I can't explain what was going through my body. When, when you leave the little airport, you would go over this little bridge like it wasn't even a bridge but it will get it'll it'll have a sign posted of how many residents were there how many state workers were there how many federal workers were there because it was it was i guess um uh run by park rangers also so we go to her little two-bedroom house and she had turned her garage into like a big patio where she had a big picnic table. I guess I didn't know this at that time, but all of Kalapapa likes to watch the Wahine volleyball. So they would come to my mom's house whenever it was playing in there with potluck and they would all watch the volleyball games there. So it was kind of weird because, you know, when I met my mom and when I hugged her, I, I didn't you know, I hate to say this, but I did not feel that mother-daughter contact. I mean, it was a blank. When I met my aunt, I felt that that love. I felt that I don't know. It's that's it, a weird, weird feeling. I you know, I still when I think about it today, you know, I I just get chicken skin because I couldn't understand the dif- the feelings, the difference of the feelings between my aunt and my mom. So anyway, we talked, we talked, and then my sister was coming from Honolulu to Kalapapa in three days because she wanted us to spend time together so I could get to know my mom because I found out that my sister first met my mom in 2000, in the year 2000. She knew she didn't know she didn't know of my mom, and then in 2000, she found that what had happened to her also. So anyway, so the day my sister was coming, we went to the airport. We picked her up. Oh my God, it was the most. Oh God, I can't explain the feeling because it was like I knew her from years. I felt the love. I felt the uh, the closeness. I thought I felt like we knew each other for years. So we went back and, you know, we get them holding each other. And then when we got back to, to my mom's house, we sat down in the, in, the, in the patio downstairs. And my sister brought all kinds of stuff she bought from Honolulu, Shushi, Manapua. I mean, you name it. All the things that I haven't had in years, she brought. So we ate and we talked, me, my mom, my aunt, my sister. We talked and then all of a sudden... My mom comes down from the kitchen into the patio and started screaming at me. And I didn't know what the heck was going on. And my mom just told me that that I was evil, that all I was was a money-greedy woman. And um, she didn't want me there. Because all I was there to, all, all I was there was to hurt her. And I didn't know what, what she was talking about. And I says, Mom, I says, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, yeah, because I guess she, 
Cheryl Tuberville of Channel 2 News was a close friend of my mom. And before I went back to Hawaii to find out about my mother, I have a cousin who was from from um, from Honolulu that he was an entertainer. His name was Richard Wells. He was up here in Vegas for Mother's Day. He was doing a, a gig with the Nuwana Brothers at Samsung. Every time he comes in town, he always gets in contact with me. So when he called me, said he was in town, I went to go meet him. And I told him I had some exciting news to tell him. So I told him what had happened that, you know, I was found by my biological family. He was so happy. And he told me to keep in contact with him. Well, this is was Mother's Day in May. And then later on that month, I told him that I was coming back to Hawaii. And he says, well, I have someone that I, I know that I went to school with. And she's a newscaster. And I would like for her, can I have, give her all this information so she can call and talk to you. So Cheryl Tuvaru from Channel 2 News called me before I went back to Honolulu, to Hawaii. And I'd asked me about my story. And I told her. And then she, we knew, I didn't know this, but she told me in order to go to Kalaupapa, you have to be sponsored. And I says, yeah. And she says, well, um, the only person I know that was sponsoring me is Nellie McCarthy. And I goes, oh, my God, that's my mother. She goes, what? I says, she is my mother. And she was telling me whenever they had Barge Day, I guess they had this special day in June, which they call Barge Day in Kalaupapa. And this is where a barge would come in for all because people, the residents would go to Honolulu and purchase things like cars and furniture. And the barge would come every year in June to bring all their items. Well, she would go there every year to broadcast Barge Day. And the person that would sponsor her was my mom. So this is such a coincidence. So I told, oh my God. And I says, she said, well, let me, I says, she says, well, let me go call your mom and let me talk to her because I do want to do a special about you guys when you come home and all that, you know, about the reunion. And I, and I was excited because I wanted to tell the world. I wanted to, I wanted to know, I wanted the world to know about my first meeting with my biological mom being 54 years old. I wanted the world to know that this happened and I wanted to open open the doors to have other kids that were taken away to know that this happened and they could possibly be one of me. So I was so excited. I said, well, okay, you, since you know my mom, I don't know anything about my mom, you go and ask her. So a couple of weeks after she called me and then she said, okay, it's an okay. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, your mom said, okay, she's gonna sponsor me to go, for me to go to Kalokapa. And then she was going to do a special about our reunion. So I was all excited because I was excited because the world was going to know about this, you know. And the world was going to see us holding each other and hugging each other, you know. So um, I left for Sacramento June the 16th to go to Sacramento. On June the 15th, the day before I left Las Vegas to Sacramento, Cheryl Tuberville called me and told me that everything that they had planned to go to Kalapab was canceled. And I says, what had happened? She says, well, my mom decided not to do it. So getting back to the incident 
in my mom's patio. My mom was yelling. She told me that I was <clears throat> trying to degrade her and trying to, break, trying to bring all bad memories back into her life, which she was trying to forget. And then I was doing this to, for the money, for the money that whoever was going to give me for doing the special. I There was no money talked about. I don't know what she was talking about. But I was so hurt. I was so hurt. I started crying. So I ran in the house and I started packing my stuff. And my aunt came after me. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I don't want to stay in this house because she hurted me so bad. I don't need this, you know. And so my aunt says, well, let me pack my stuff. But where can we go? Because in order to fly in and fly out of Kalapapa, you have to call a couple of days to make arrangements with this. It was called Paragon, Paragon Airlines. So you have to make a reservation for somebody to come and pick you up. I said, well, we should call them, and I want to stay here. I don't know where. I, I want to go somewhere. I don't want to stay in this house, and then we can leave. So my sister, in the meantime, came in, and she hugged me. And she says, I'm so sorry, Linda May. I didn't know how Mom was feeling. And then, my, then I, my, my sister told me, well, you know, I see where she's coming from about bringing the past and opening wounds. And then I sat down and I realized that I knew where she was coming from but the only thing that hurt me I didn't know where she came with this money thing because there was no money involved I was just wanted to tell my story so my mom came in later and she saw my aunt and I sitting on a bed and she came in crying and she apologized then I said well I apologize I didn't mean to hurt you and I understand where you're coming from but there was no money involved. I only wanted to tell this story so the world can know that this happened and there's more children out there and I wanted to open a network to have children like me come to this come and we can all talk about it. So I says, you know, I am sorry that I didn't mean to hurt her and I know that it must have hurt her because, you know, she's been living I found out she was living in Kalapapa since she was in 21, I think, in 1930-something. She went there when she was 21 years old. And she's. It, this is now 2003, so she, that was her life. She was programmed. I tell everybody that people in Kalapapa are programmed. And the reason why I say they're programmed is, you know, they were left and they were exiled. They were left for their family, exiled to Kalapapa. There was rules and regulation that they have to follow, and they were afraid what the consequences would be if they didn't follow it. So their life were were really um, was their life was controlled by the state, you know. And I felt I felt sorry for her. And then in 1969, she had she had the opportunity to leave, but she decided not to leave. That that was her home. And then I would ask, then I asked her about my father, and she wouldn't talk about my father. She just would change the subject. So I stayed in Kalapapa for almost three weeks. <coughs> my sister stayed there <coughs> only two weeks. <coughs> and um, just before I was leaving to go to Maui for this 4th of July reunion in Maui and K and I, my sister was leaving, and she told me that 
because I, I was I was Catholic and my sister was Protestant, so we went to two different churches in Kalapapa. They had three different different churches in Kalapapa. They had a Catholic, they had a Protestant, and they had a Mormon. So my mother and I would go to church every morning at six every day, and my sister would go went to church on Sundays only at the Protestant church. She came on like eleven o'clock and. See, her and I smoked, and then we didn't know that we'd eat smoking, and when I wanted a cigarette, I would leave my mom's house, and I would go walking around, come up and have a cigarette. So my sister goes, let's go. Let's go have a cigarette. So we both walked away, and then my sister told me, well, I have something to tell you. I go, what? She says, I was sitting in church, and after church, this woman came up to me and asked me if I was Teofilo's daughter. And my dog, my sister, no, that was my father's first name. So she says, no, that, that was my sister, was me. So, And I guess she was a neighbor of my mom's. So she came to tell me that. Because I, I couldn't get any information from my mother about my father. Because I know that he was exiled in 1946 from his family. The state took took him away from his family. He already he had four children, two girls and a boy. Divorced him and exiled him to Kalapapa. He met my pop, my mom, and I guess they got married in 1947. I was conceived in 1948. And then my dad left Kalapapa in 1953. So I, she says, the lady lives right next door to mom, so... Later on that evening, I told my mom I was going to go have a cigarette. And I walked, and this woman was watering her plants. And I walked up to her, and I introduced myself. And she says, you are to your feelings, daughter. I says, yeah. So she invited me in her house, and she told me about my dad. My dad was a policeman in Kalopapa. He was married, you know, he, he was married to my mom. And then in 1953, <laughs> he wanted to. He, he just wanted to, well, I, I, I have, he has a reason why he left Kalapapa, but I'd rather not say it. And this woman told me, and I, I don't want to say it because till today, my mom doesn't know that I know and nobody else know I, what, what I know, the reason why he left. So he left Kalapapa in 1953 and he went back to Mali and returned to his original family. He remarried his first wife. And he, he, and he went back to his four kids. So she told me that he was from Maui. And my last name was Carrillo. And I knew I was going to go to Maui for the reunion. So when I came back, I had told my aunt about the meeting. So my aunt says, well, okay, when Paragon comes and take us to Maui, we're going to get to the airport, go to the closest phone booth, look at the phone book and for my last name, Carrillo, and then call so we left Ma, we left Kalopapa on July 30th and landed in Maui. So I saw a phone booth, got the phone book, and I found a Carrillo, but it was spelled with only R, one R, C-A-R-I-L-L-O. I was spelling my name with two R's, C-A-R-R-I-L-L-O. And that's why I couldn't find anybody with... with that was related to me with that spelling because it was her own spelling. So I decided to call this one Carrillo that was in the Maui phone book 
and a woman answered the phone and I says hello and I didn't want I did not know how to start this conversation because you know what do I say to this woman so the only thing I could think of was is there a Teofilo in this family and the woman said yes my heart was so elated it was fluttering and I says can I speak to him and she says oh I think it's impossible because he died 10 years ago in 1993 my heart dropped then I says well um how are you related to Tio Phil and she says that was my my husband's grandfather so evidently she was I guess one of my siblings daughter-in-law so she says well you know then I told her I says you know I I know you're probably puzzled and you're probably angry with all these questions I'm asking. And I told her that I am, I think I am Teofilo's daughter. And then she just stopped. And she says something about Kalapapa. I says, yeah. She says, well, I've heard the story because my, my husband would tell me about that he had an aunt that was born in Kalapapa, that his grandfather was married to someone in Kalapapa. And he, he had another daughter which nobody knows about. So she said, you know, let me take your number and let me have my father-in-law call you. So, okay, so later on, about 6 o'clock, the phone rings. My aunt answered the phone at my cousin's house. And my aunt says, Linda May, I think this is your brother. So I got on the phone, and I says, hello. He goes, hello. And I, he goes, is this Linda May? And I says, yes. And he cried, and he cried, and he couldn't stop crying. And he says, he always does he this to today this is what he calls me he says baby i've been looking for you for over 50 years he says i retired from honolulu telephone and in the late 70s we had contract in kalapapa to put phone lines and i was the one that went there and i knew of your mom and i went to her house and i had asked her where where, where was i she said she didn't know and he yelled at her and said, don't lie to me, but my mom never knew where I went to. But he has been seeking for me for over 50 years. So this was a Monday, and he wanted, He says, you know, can I come and pick you up? I says, I would like for you to come and spend time with me and my family. And I says, you know, I couldn't go. That We had plans to go to K&I on Thursday and come back the following Tuesday. So we made arrangements for him to come and pick me up the following Tuesday and spend time with him. So I went, we went to, we left to go to K9 um, on Thursday night. And K9 is like a peninsula. And topside, my cousin had a couple of bungalows that they owned. And we stayed, my aunt and I stayed in one and her and her family stayed in another. And we would go down to Colorado. We started going down to K9 since. Friday all the way to Sunday. Friday they had made everyone lunch. So we went down there and I was so scared because I didn't know how to act and I knew I was going to meet a whole bunch of people, family that I knew and didn't know anything of. So we drove up down Friday afternoon to have lunch and there was tables set outside in this old Hawaiian church and there was, when we drove up, a lot of people walked up to the car. And my aunt tried to 
she she introduced me to everyone and I just till today I can't remember who they are and how they were related because there were so many people. So we sat down and then my aunt tour, took me to tour the canine because it's just a peninsula, like I said. And my cousin Pumpkin had a cattle patch. And then I guess a lot of my cousins had, there was like about six or seven cattle patches down there. So my cousin took us to the one that they owned. It was quite big. There was a little shack, a lot of shacks down there. There was a big grave site where I found out was the burial site of my great and great great grandparents. And the church was this old it was a beautiful old church and it was right by the water. It was it was beautiful. It was paradise. And this is where the reunion was gonna be held. So my my <clears throat> my cousin that we were staying with her daughter and her husband wanted to take my aunt and I sightseeing so we decided to drive down to Hana so we left my cousin and we went topside got ready and we they took us to a drive in Hana I've never been to Hana and I've heard of Hana so much it was one of the most beautiful the most I I really would cherish that trip because it's so beautiful we drove and we stopped by Lindenberg's um, memorial we stopped at the Queen's bath we start at seven, the six, seven sacred falls, and then we stop in Hana to eat. Then we drove all the way to Hana Pier, and then we drove all the way to um, where um, Oprah had bought some land. It was beautiful, 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 beautiful. And it was a long drive there, but it was very scenic, very green. So we got back to the cottage about 10 o'clock at night. And then my cousin said, "Well, you gotta, you better take, you know, get some rest because tomorrow is gonna be be a big day because that's when the reunions is gonna happen." So I went to bed, and the next morning, we got we we went. My aunt, my my cousin, that made us breakfast, and she told us that we need to relax because um it's gonna be a long day that we have to be down there at three o'clock. So my aunt and I <clears throat> went walking around my cousin's property, and then. We we'll walk to the edge of the edge of the property, and you can look down. And you can see the peninsula of K nine. It was beautiful, and then we walked over and we saw the different flowers: blue candy, candy, um, 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 crowned flower, flowers that I haven't seen since I was little. You know, and then fruit trees, different fruit trees, the lilacoy vines, even had a mountain apple. Now, so I enjoyed that because these are memories that I had when I was little, when I lived in Pololo. And I never got the opportunity to see that again, as I did then. So Friday at 2.30, we got ready, we went down there. And God, there was so many cars. And God, there was this huge tent, and there was all this table, and there was all these people. And I was so nervous. I was crying because I was so nervous because I didn't know what to do or what to expect. So as we were walking in, my my aunt introduced me to a lot of people, and then there was like a stage, and there was a table, long table on the stage, where I was going to be sitting with my aunt. And when we went up there, I got to meet my mother's two other sisters and a brother. Uh, so I met my auntie Irene, my auntie Sarah, uh, my uncle Jacob. 
And there was, I think, five of them still alive. It was my mom, my Auntie Kule, my Auntie Sarah, my Auntie Louis, um, my Auntie Irene. Oh, there were six. And then my Uncle Jacob, he was the only boy that was still alive. But my mom and my Auntie Kule didn't come to reunion. It was just my Auntie Sarah, my Auntie Irene, my Auntie Louis, and my Uncle Jacob. So I got to meet all of them. They were such loving people. You know, they hugged me. And I guess everybody was aware of me. And I don't know if anyone was looking for me. I know my Auntie Louis was. So we had to sit up there. And then um, my cousin, who was, um, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Roback. He was the host of this reunion. He was like the chairman of getting things together. I, I, I remember them telling me that all the families, a different family was assigned for different things. Like somebody had to make the lao lao and a cool pig and somebody was, was for the poor and some for the seafood, some for the decoration. I mean, every family was, was assigned just different things and they did a great job. So anyway, he came up and um, <clears throat> he um, introduced us and then um, he wanted each one of us to stand up and tell their story and I got so nervous. So I was, since, since I was the youngest on the stage, I was the last one to go to the microphone and tell my story. So I went from my Auntie Louis to my to my Auntie Irene, Sarah, then my auntie Irene, and Uncle Jacob. Then when they came to me, but hearing the stories of my aunts and my uncle, it broke my heart because I thought my story was going to be a painful and 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 sad story. But hearing the stories from my aunts and my uncle, it broke my heart because they went through the same thing I did, but not not as intense. I mean, um. Ex- not as in, 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 in one even, not as not as hard as I was. My uncle, my auntie Louis, was from my mother, my grandfather and grandmother's, I guess, first marriage. And then, because I guess my grandfather was married twice, my grandmother was married three times. My grandmother's first marriage was to a Robux. Oh, my grandma was married twice. My grandfather was married twice too. Anyway, my grandmother was married to Roba. When he died, she married my grandfather, which is who he is. My When my grandmother died, my grandfather married someone else. But there was three different families, okay? There was the Robacks, and then there was whales, and then um, two different whales. My aunt and my mother and my auntie Kuule was from my first marriage which is my whales. And then when my grandfather remarried, when my grandmother died, he had one, two, three children that didn't know about the first family. Okay? And how my Aunt Lois found her sibling was she moved to California years and years ago, and then I guess her husband was in the military, and there was having some some gathering at this military base and my aunt had um, gone to it and then she was going through the food line and she saw this gentleman and his his name tag was said Jacob Whale. 
So that kind of startled her because that was her maiden name. So after we got through eating, she went around and she talked to Jake, Mr. Jacob and asked her, well, who is he related to? And then she found that. That's when she found that out that her father and his father were, were the same person. So that was her half-brother. So she come to find out that she had three other siblings on my grandfather's second marriage that nobody knew about it. And they were raised in Lanai. So, you know, uh, all of the secrets, all of this hidden things that they kept away from family for years. You know, I know they talk about Hanai, and, you know, and they talk about just taking kids from one family to another because the Hawaiian, they have, they have open love, you know, and they have a lot of love to share for children. So they would, like they say, take other people's kids. It could be family, it could not be family, and raise them. Okay, and I find that very, very loving, very heart touching. But at the end, the children is the one that has to pay for it because they don't know their true identity, you know. And I know that they're doing this for a good reason. But the thing is, when you grow old like me, when I found out what had happened. It hurting me because I did not know my roots. I did not know anything about my medical background, which I found was more important because I had children and I had grandchildren, and it was, I it was essential that they knew about the medical background. Background. I was hurt that that was taken away from me with no explanation, and what really hurts me the most that. No one talks, still talks about it till today. And this is now 2022. We, the children of Kalapapa, are still swept under the carpet. And this has to come to an end because we are human beings. We have the right to know where we came from and who we came from. Yeah, I know they didn't know anything about the disease that we're seeing that time and age. But now this is the open. I, I'm sorry that I am the person to bring out this. But it's important for me, and not only for me, but two of my other siblings, because there was five of us that was adopted. Two other siblings of mine were also a product of Kalapapa. And I, took, I, and I today have not found closure for them. They're both not deceased, but they still have children, grandchildren and great grandchildren. I need to find closure for them. Like I have found closure for me and my family. I want the world to know this ungodly thing that happened to the children of Kalapapa. People should owe up to it. And just talk about us. Yeah, we're not, we're humans. We make mistakes, you know, and it's easy to say, I'm sorry. It's easy to say, I'm sorry. We have put all you guys through all this, but somebody needs to walk to it. And someone needs to take the responsibility of whatever, of this event that happened. And I'm thankful 
through the rabbit hole and thank you to Kavika for being here to listen to my story. I have written a book and I've been trying to write the book since I was found in 2003 to 2000 until last year. I finally got it published. It's not a big book, but it's mainly the, it's mainly a story about what I found, what my feelings was, what my heartache was, and what my concern was about the lost children of Kalopapa. And I guess that's it. <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. And I will make sure to put a link to your book inside our show uh -huh. notes so people who listen to the show can click straight to your book. Uh, uh -huh. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, thank you. Because it, it's, it's, it's absolutely moving, and I think the world does need to hear it. And um, I would love to talk to you more later. And follow okay. up again. Mahalo. Okay. Mahalo for coming oh, on and telling your story. Thank you for being here for me, okay? And I'll, whenever you're ready, just contact me, okay? Absolutely. You have a wonderful okay. day. You too. Aloha. You have a great day, okay? Aloha. <gasps>this episode was produced by Kavika Hoke and Sarah Rodriguez. Make sure to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcast platforms to add our weekly episodes to your queue.